Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, physically distancing as he always does. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. Uh, yeah, I always physically distance myself from everybody at all times possible because I like uh, being alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, really, this uh, pandemic, on a personal note, in terms of your social life, hasn't really been that problematic. Uh, not too bad. <laughs> not too bad. Uh, of course, I don't mean to minimize it. Uh, it's hard. It, it's hard being at home, but at the same time, I don't have kids. So, uh, yeah. you know, silver linings. Yeah, certainly the discussion over schools and stuff, it's uh, raging here in Ontario. And I know it is across the country as uh, we start to look forward to the potential of kids going back to school, which I believe will have a very real impact on whether or not curling clubs open, not strictly if kids are back to school or not, just whether or not there's any ramifications pandemic-wise on, on schools. And just as long as that plays out safely, and of course we all hope it does, with whatever the plan is across the country or the various plans across the country, that uh, if it goes well, maybe that's a, a better sign for the curling season. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so, uh, but it does lead into our topic today that we want to talk about. And Scott, we've been kind of guest heavy over the summer, and we figured why not keep that going because we had a great guest for today's episode. We were very lucky to talk with Chad McMullen, who is the founder of the Rocks and Rings program. And if you've ever watched a Scotty's or a Briar game, you know what Rocks and Rings are because the commercials run every end. Yeah, uh, a great uh, program to get young people involved in curling at a at a level where the the investment isn't you know going to a curling club and sliding on ice and stuff. Sort of to get the game into the minds of young kids as oh this is a thing, right? Uh, uh, also, we we've been talking about diversity here over the last couple months and this rocks and rings program keeps coming up as a way to introduce the game to new Canadians, to people who wouldn't normally have access to a curling club. And uh, that's sort of part of the mission of, of the rocks and rings program. And we wanted to talk about that, talk about uh, where it's been and where it's going. Absolutely. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's our discussion with Chad McMullen. All right. And Chad McMullen joins us now. Chad, how are you today? Doing very well. How about you guys? Uh, doing pretty good, thanks. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, to discuss the program and your involvement in it. So let, let's go back to the beginning. And what was the impetus behind the Rocks and Rings program, and what made you want to get involved? Well, you know what? It, it all started in, oh, God, was it 2000, 2009? Yeah, last year we celebrated our uh, our 10th anniversary. But uh, yeah, there. You know what? I, there, there was. I think there was a bit of a hole in the uh, in the whole system in terms of development. And uh, so basically, back then, I, I took the concept to both Capital One, 
who were a big curling sponsor at the time, and, and also to the uh, to Curling Canada or Canadian Curling Association at the time. And and you know what, we 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 just we wanted to be able to reach out with the sport instead of waiting for kids to come to us. Um, uh, another uh, big factor in the whole thing was that you know we really recognized that the demographic um, at at curling clubs did not match the demographic makeup of Canada and so this was was a way by going to the schools by taking the sport to the kids and like I said instead of the other way around that we could potentially uh, fix that a little bit but how do you get to the point where it's I I, I, and I really do want to talk about the demographic stuff as well but how do you get to the Mm -hmm. point from you know obviously curling is an ice sport so I'm curious about when you approach curling Canada or Capital One and you say, we want to take this to the schools. What is their reaction? Uh, or is there an immediate thought of, well, this is an ice sport and schools don't have ice? Yeah, you know, I mean, that was obviously a major hurdle was was showing them how it could be done. And I mean, thankfully, you know, I've, I've I had years and years of experience within the sport and, and, and with these people. Um, already leading up to that, so I, I wasn't. It wasn't just a cold call, someone coming out of the blue. I think they, they you know, they recognized that that I understood this space and and that we 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 were onto something here. And 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 big credit to um, you know Ian Cunningham who was who was at Capital One at the time, and you know they were they had a very TV heavy sponsorship, and um, you know he he saw the the benefit of, of getting involved in something that was more more community give back and and basically to uh, to activate the whole thing. They they were big supporters as well of, of just getting you know getting kids physically active, which which you know we designed the program around that as well. Right. So let's talk about how this sport then gets adapted or how the program gets adapted to kids. Uh, I think most curling fans will be familiar with the commercials and, you know, we see Caitlin Laws and and others in the in the ads uh, when they're going to schools. But how did you come up with the programming, whether it's the we see kids running with brooms and the hurry hard and uh, basically floor mm-hmm. curling as well. Like, like, what was that process like in, in transforming and creating the equipment that would be used in the schools? Yeah, you know what? I mean, it was it was ten, eleven years ago now, and I'm trying to remember that there was there was a lot of involvement with teachers. Um, I relied on on friends of mine that were teachers just to help with with the programming, how we could match it up to the curriculum. Um, you know, the concept was only going to work if the schools actually accepted us and and wanted this. And, um, you know, obviously there, there were a lot of mistakes made and changes that had to be made to, to make it work. But, you know what, we, we kind of hashed that all out in a bunch of different pilots and, and tests. And, you know, even, even some teacher friends were good enough to allow us to get into those schools just to, to test it. And from there, we, you know, we took, we, 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 we created and found some, some equipment that could, that could best replicate curling or as best we could without ice. And then we also had to make it more active, too, because we didn't want it to just be about kids sitting on the ground and, and sliding stones. So we, right. we had to build out the rest of it. And that's where the brooms come in and, and the fun drills and relays that they do. How much of, of it is teaching the sport itself and, and giving sort of a background on what the sport is versus that activity based and uh, something that teachers can use within whether it's phys ed classes or just sort of a break from the normal curriculum like where is that balance between the sport versus the in-class activity yeah it's it, it's a great question actually um the the key to the success of this program is that it's all about fun and it's an introduction 
and it is not we do not get technical i mean the instructors they do talk a little bit about the sport and what it's about of course but we don't get into technical stuff like we don't get into sliding we don't get into you know detailed rules of the game or anything like that and we've actually learned over the years that 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 can hinder uh, things we you know we we want the kids to have fun we want them to walk out of there saying curling was awesome and to go home to mom and dad and say I want to go to the local rink and try this on ice now so it's we you know we've, we've actually even had issues where you know someone wants to come in someone that knows curling maybe and wants to teach them a little more teach them more technical stuff and and in all honesty it's just not as fun for for kids of that age so um, that's the key it's introduction fun and of course activity I mean it's you know they yell and scream the whole time um during the, the thing because they're having so much fun and and we you know we get a lot of feedback from teachers saying they you know this this is a lot more fun than they've had in the gym class in a long time <laughs> which is a great sign and and of course we are very excited when people get into curling so you mentioned earlier the demographics of this and this is something that we've talked about on the show now for a while and something that i've been interested in for a long time is the demographics of curling and in my position that we've, we've talked about on the show before is that when I turn on a Scotty's or a Briar, it doesn't look like the country that I live in every day when I go walk around Ottawa. So what is the strategy or what has the strategy been in finding communities that don't typically participate in curling and are not active in their local curling clubs? Yeah, I mean, we we take the program pretty much anywhere in Canada. I mean, we've delivered in all, even in all of the territories um, it's accessible at any time, at almost any time in, in almost any location. So we, we don't, on a daily basis, target specific areas. We're, we're more just, we're out there for everyone. But we have done a lot of one-off pilots and projects, and you know some of them have been supported by Curling Canada, and some have been other local groups, um, where we actually have um, gone into you know First Nations areas, or or you know we we've gone to places in the territories that are fly-in access only. Um, so we, we we do a lot of those things as well. But the idea with Rocks and Rings is more of a long-term, general, countrywide approach where. Just by going into the schools themselves, we are going to reach everyone as much as, as possible. Have you or do you have a sense of what the buy through rate is? If there is one of, of kids or families who have gone to clubs, like is that something that the program keeps track of, of, of what the uptake is? You know what? We, we would love to. Um, for years, people would ask us, OK, well, what what's next? How do we get them onto the ice now? And so we know the, the program has short-term success and long-term success. I mean, long-term, we're really seeing it now over 10 years. People are more and more talking about that this is how they got involved was through Rocks and Rings. Um, even adults saying the kids were went in, went, had Rocks and Rings, and then the adults tagged along, and suddenly they're curling too. So we know that's happening. The short-term success, though, is, is hard to measure simply because we have no way of knowing. Uh, we have no way of knowing if a kid had the program and then went into their local club because, well, A, they might not tell the club this is why they're there, and B, you know, we, we don't deal directly with clubs. There are just far too many of them um, for us to deal with them individually. So, you know, the, the manager, even if they did know they came because of Rocks and Rings, they don't really have any impetus to tell us or reason to, to get back to us. So it's really difficult. Of course, we do get all the the – stories from from various places all over the place that that um yes that this is why they did it but we we can't actually record it 
um, or track it 100% accurately. But um, but over the years, though, we did uh, we did create the Curling 101 program, which which with Curling Canada which uses um, the Rocks and Rings program as basically the marketing tool to get people on ice. So we, we would target specific curling clubs. We would run Rocks and Rings programs in their area specifically in the, in the you know, four to ten days out period for, for a specific open house and with all the marketing. And, and so the kids would show up to those with the parents, and those had a really, really high success rate. And even higher conversion rate. I think I think our conversion rate of the kids that actually got to the clubs, the conversion rate was, I, I believe, just over 20 percent wow. on average over the four years. Yeah, I mean it's insane. I think any sport would be ecstatic with you know a five percent conversion rate if you of, of just of people that were trying the sport for the first time. So yeah, well you um, think of like a, around Christmas when I know at least in Ottawa here a lot of offices do Christmas parties at curling clubs. Mm-hmm. And the buy-through rate at that, I would suggest just anecdotally, is maybe 1%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they're fantastic. They do a great job. I mean, they bring in revenue for the club regardless if anyone signs up. But, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's probably a low number. I mean, that's that's just the reality for, for sport in general. Uh, I, I mean, some you know some, a lot of the people that are there don't even want to be there. <laughs> they're forced yeah. to be there for work so you're never going to capture those so already you're you know you're, you're down to smaller numbers but yeah no and, and you know what the curling 101 program the, the second part of it was the actual on ice instruction that we taught and that we provided to the to the clubs to deliver and part of it part of signing up was that they had to agree to deliver that specific program that that had been tried and tested over the years don't you know we didn't want them to bring in their level three coach for you know brand new beginners and teach them technical stuff that again just like rocks and rings this was based on fun it was only 60 minutes where you know people had to get their heads or clubs had to get their heads around this is you know we're not doing things the traditional way here we we don't want people out on the ice for two hours for their first ever attempt at curling because they're gonna have a great time but then they're gonna get cold they're gonna get bored and they're gonna leave on a low so right. we, you know, we designed this whole program for just fun, quick game, leave after 60 minutes on a high and you, you want to come back for more. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me too, there's that Curling Canada commercial where it's like, here's the basics of curling and it's like a four minute video and at the end it goes, uh, so that plus a few dozen other things and that's how you <laughs> curl, right? But it's the idea of just here the here are sort of the basics and go yep. have fun with it. Like we don't need to get too serious with it with beginners, right? We want everyone to come, try it out, have a good time. Yeah, and I, th- I mean the the game is is so old. There, there's so much tradition to it here in Canada that I, uh, you know, it's 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 just too entrenched in our clubs. And and I think you know we're we're trying to bring a new approach that is, you know, it's all about the sport, but it's also, uh, you know, heavily focused on marketing and how to market and what what people are looking for and what people are looking for today is a hell of a lot different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, so. very yeah, very true. And and I think. I know Scott and I, like our experience is that we started because our parents were at the club and a a lot of people, our generation, that's the experience that our parents would curl. And then we started to curl and then we continued with it. I, I, what I like about this program and Scott, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about this too, is the idea that is basically flipping that the traditionally parents would bring their kids, but now we have a, a program here where part of the intent is that the kids can bring their parents. Yeah, yeah. The and bringing the parents fills a nice void in that you know with at most curling clubs they, they all 
recognize that they need junior curlers, they need youth curlers because this is the future, but at the same time, it's not instant revenue because these these kids the, their fees are usually very very low and, and they're, they're you know they're probably losing money to turn the lights on for a junior program but by bringing the parents now suddenly some of the parents see it and then boom you've got some instant members right there that are going to contribute to you know uh, full membership prices and and to the bar and and, and things like that so um, it's yeah it's a, it's a nice uh, benefit that we've we've worked in there yeah. or, or even just having the the bar open during the junior program if the parent doesn't want to get on the ice at least yeah. right away they can they can hang out with the other parents while the program's going on maybe have a drink relax and it turns into a social event for them just as much as it could be for the kid we 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 have heard that comment so many times where you know we've seen parents have signed the kids up even though they have no interest in curling but they've signed them up because you know they've come back to us and said i could be freezing my butt off at a outdoor hockey rink at 6 a.m yeah. on a saturday or I can be here at 10 o'clock having a drink and, <laughs> and, and watching them behind the glass in, in this, this nice warm room. So yeah, we hear that all the time. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Chad, ahead, I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to ask if you see sort of a, a more of a demand for the program around large curling events such as the Olympics and sort of what is the, uh, the ebb and flow of the demand for the program in a four-year cycle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from year one, we have been on a on a steady tra trajectory upwards, um, but there is always a spike in the Olympic years, and so it might dip a little bit down the next year, but then it you know slowly comes back up and, and peaks even higher the next the next uh, after the next quadrennial is is over. So um, it's been fantastic, and I mean, you know, teachers are just they're adding winter Olympic programming to their to their classrooms, so there's just more and more of them that are that are looking for it. They know it's going to be on TV a ton coming up. So, um, yeah, th those those you know the February sessions in a year will book up faster than the other sections because the teachers know that that curling's on TV. Um, and you know, unfortunately, this past year we were actually on pace to break our own record, which I think is around 225,000 kids in, in in a year. And we were on pace to break that this last year, even though it wasn't an Olympic year, until uh, COVID shut things down there near the end. Wow. Yeah, so I would assume that, yeah, that the busiest time for the program and, and when it's run the most is that basically the TSN season of champions, I would assume, is that sort of January through April period? Yeah, exactly. It, it starts a little slow in September as people are settling in and then you, you, you start to increase. And then, of course, drops a little in December for Christmas holidays and then it really starts to ramp up in January uh, January February and then it just kind of keeps that momentum and I mean we can only book so many so many schools in those exact months so the rest of them you know they end up doing it later so we end up going right through into uh, June and in, in in most school districts across the country Wow that's that's pretty good uh, to get it all the way to the warm weather and still have people interested mm. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, once school stops, we, we do a lot of uh, summer camp bookings. In, um, now, that one's not cross-country, but in, in most of the bigger cities, we, we do summer camps all, all summer long, too. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I'm curious to ask you, too, in, in your experience, as, as someone who's, who's in this program in Curling 101, we talked about clubs and, and getting people into clubs. What do you think some of the biggest barriers are that exist 
preventing people from joining clubs because we, we've done some episodes where we've talked about there's almost like this exclusivity even just the word club can be a problem for some people that they might not feel yeah. welcome into it but like what do you think are some of the biggest barriers that are, are holding people back from going to clubs yeah i mean i mean the name club that that right off the hop. I mean, I just say it because I'm used to saying it for 30 years right. now, but yeah. it, it, it is terrible. It should never, it should never be called that. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, a lot of places are changing uh, for sure. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, now there's, there's, you know, we're putting a whole different lens on that and from the diversity aspect, but even the diversity stuff aside, curling clubs do a terrible, terrible job of, of marketing themselves um, they and 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 many of them don't have good solid business sense behind their operations. I mean, they're they're you know this is where they 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 lean back towards being a club again. They just kind of try to survive for their members, and then every ten years or so, there's a there's an equipment crisis, and you know we have to raise a hundred thousand dollars just to keep the place alive, and the you know people have to dig in and donate or donate time or do things, and it it just it doesn't need to be that way, but. Um, I think better business plans are required in most cases, and 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 much more marketing. I mean, clubs tend to be afraid to invest in things. They, you know, they 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 don't they, they see they see marketing as a as a cost. They don't see it as an investment. And it is it is really not hard this day and age to um, to get some you know very cheap and effective marketing out there uh, via social media. It's it's really not that hard. Yeah, and I think another thing that I frequently think about is that clubs they shut down in the summer and then that's it. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, clubs have parking lots. They could do things that bring community members in. You could set something up like this outside the club in the summer, uh, mm -hmm. have a barbecue, invite people in, try the sport. But the, the decisions that so many clubs make to just shut the building and not try to generate revenue in the summer, I find that kind of a problem too and, and these types of things whether it's rocks and rings specifically or just general floor curling these are ways that clubs can maintain an active presence in the community all 12 months yeah absolutely there's a lot to be said about community involvement i mean even if it has nothing to do with the actual ice just allowing groups to come in and use the space and you know become aware that the facility is there um and you're gonna you know you're just gonna find that the, the awareness of the places is, is is way way higher which is going to result in in people you know just organically becoming curlers in the future because suddenly they know it's there um i mean the my curling club i'm on the board of the uh, royal canadian curling club at, at queen and broadview here in toronto and a lot of people don't even know it's there you can't see it right, right from the road and so I, I know people that live in the area and didn't even realize there's a curling club there so now it has a unique problem in that we're basically full to capacity um, but you know that's not always going to be the case, and um, and and so yeah, they're, they're you know more more awareness is, is never a bad thing. Um, I mean the other thing I'd like to add to that too actually is that that clubs are are for the most part are using a very antiquated system that is so member focused, and I think we need to get away from that. I mean membership leagues and membership should be a nice baseline at the club but it shouldn't dominate the club's programming i mean you know you get people want to go bowling they call a bowling alley they book a lane and they go and the same thing happens with curling and but curling clubs we just kind of laugh at these people and go no you can't do that right. well why not we're trying to force them to buy our product versus like give them the product that they want you know what i mean 
So yeah. there's 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 challenges challenges there, and and hopefully you know we're 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 trying to change that with some of the consulting work that we do as well. Yeah, it's one of these things that I've said. I think I've said this on the show, but it's something I, I believe that the current situation. We'll see what happens in the fall with clubs. And I know Curling Geek is keeping track of clubs that have announced that they're going to open versus clubs mm-hmm. that announced that they're not going to open. But I do think there will be some enterprising individuals at curling facilities across the country that try to implement new business models this year out of necessity that will carry forward and start to change the business model of, of clubs across the country. Oh, I, I yeah, I mean, this n- nobody asked for this this pandemic, but at the same time, I think there could be a lot of opportunity that that comes out of this. It's not just negativity here, I don't think. Um, clubs do have uh, an opportunity to to change things up, where you know they might they might lose some members here or there, they may lose a league here or there, but that's going to give them the ability going forward to use those time slots more effectively. I I think. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm also wondering just in general, let, let's put the pandemic aside for as much as that's possible in this moment <laughs> in time. But where do you think the sport is in terms of its overall health in the country? Uh, you know, you're, you've been in, involved in a long time bringing in new players and, and, you know, educational programs. Just what do you think the state of curling is, is in Canada in 2020? I, I, curling is in a fantastic position in my, in my opinion. I mean, you, you know, there's, you always hear the doom and gloom out there in the naysayers, but I think that's it's just a knee-jerk reaction that they're they're trained to give and and have always been trained to give. But curling is is in a great position. And yes, I know some smaller towns and rural areas where we'll say our curling clubs are closing, we're losing curlers. But but I, relatively speaking, I mean that's happening across the board, and that's urban migration, and that's all these things. But if you put curling up against any other sport, I think Curling Canada has done a great job. They have a way better youth development system right from that introductory touch like rocks and rings than than most other sports do um, you're also seeing um, a lot of people going away from the physical and more violent sports so you're, you're seeing people not wanting to put their kids with you know with all the issues now with concussions and stuff like that and you're seeing them not want to go into hockey or football as much and and curling is a, a great alternative to that so I, I would challenge anyone that that curling is not in a, in a bad position at all right now it's actually in a in a great position compared to most sport in canada and uh chad how to to build on that a little bit uh rocks and rings is available as you said in every province and territory in canada yes yes you can we, we've got almost all of the map covered um territories are you're usually you know more of a we we do events here and there type thing but most mm-hmm. of the country can uh, just contact us at any time and 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 book a book a session and and so what then is the next step for the rocks and rings program do you see you know hiring more employees to deliver it on a more frequent basis uh expanding out the program to more than one day what uh, what do you see yeah we well i mean we, you know that's that's already starting to happen i mean we've got you know for instance the gta i think in calgary we've got um we've actually got two instructors in those regions now and they they work every single day pretty much during the school year so the the expansion is there we 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 keep doing that we just keep learning and and figuring out better ways to market the program and um our our retention rate has been really really high for uh, in terms of um 
schools returning after having it for a year. And our biggest challenge mm-hmm. is, is that, you know, after a few years, a lot of them come to us and say, you know, we've done this three or four years in a row. We're going to take a year off and, and come back next year. So we've been constantly evolving. We've created you know, sub programs. We've created the Rocks and Rings tournaments program, which is more about gameplay and, and instead of the intro. And and so we just we just keep evolving and 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 doing a better job of marketing. I think to just keep it uh, keep it growing so that we we don't lose anyone out of out of boredom or anything like that. It's 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 the repetitive touches that are the lo- are you know part of the long term goal of getting getting people into or getting kids into curling. We just you know we we want it to be. We don't want it to be that weird thing that nobody does, that none of their friends do. We want it to become a normal gym activity like like anything else that they regularly do. Right. Right. It definitely makes it easier, right, when you have friends who are doing it too, right? If you already have a Mm -hmm. connection going to the curling club with you, it does make it a little easier. There's no question about that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, Curling Canada has, has told us years ago that, I mean, several people there have told us the same thing, that um, that they made, the biggest mistake they ever made was back, I think it was in the 70s, maybe late 60s, when they, you know, curling used to be a school sport. And then they took the focus, they took it away from the schools and basically put it into the clubs. So, junior curling became more of a club-led thing than a school-led thing and they you know they'll tell you that was the biggest mistake they made because now you're you know you're waiting for people to come to you instead of instead of instead of the outreach so yeah Yeah. uh now we've talked pretty much only about canada but i do know that there is a now she's canadian but a canadian who lives in mexico who has an interest in getting her kids in curling and thinks that this sort of thing is the best way so does the program run internationally (laughs) <laughs> it it does and it doesn't there are it, it doesn't run in its true sense you know of rocks and rings what we do in what we do in canada and and a lot of that just comes down to there's no other countries that have the the resources uh when it comes to curling that that we do but we work with a lot of different countries um i am actually really good friends with the, the with with the the curling mexico folks we we help them get uh uh, get their official certification with the WCF years ago, and so we we've been working with them. So so a lot of these countries they'll have the equipment, um, they'll have guidance from us on how to use it, and they'll do things like that. But they don't actually have the the full blown rocks and rings program. Um, if there is someone in Mexico that wants to play, then absolutely I want to talk to them. We 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 have the first rink um, that I'm I'm personally a part of um, that that is is opening in Mexico City. And it's actually it would have been open by now if it wasn't for uh, this whole COVID mess. So, um, so things are happening. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really exciting. So, if people are interested in the program and bringing it into their schools, where can they go? What is the process, and how do they get it? Uh, how do they get it going? So, here in Canada, best thing is go to rocksandrings.com. And it's it's spelled out there, whatever you need to do. I mean, most of it is targeted towards teachers, but um, we also have a very successful new program that we call Adopt-A-School where people that are just interested in, you know, whether they might be just interested in having it at a school near their club or maybe where their child or, or grandchild goes to school, they want to see it there and, and they, can, uh, they, can, they can adopt a school and, and get it in there that way too. All right, terrific. And uh, on Twitter, at Rocks and Rings, too, to follow all the developments. Uh, I'm going to have to take your word. I can't remember. Okay, <laughs> we, have yeah, well, yeah. we have different handles across different social media <laughs> platforms, but I think that sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, so, so follow the Rocks and Rings program. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where we see the commercials during the Scotties and the Briar 
all the time, but it's it's nice to get a better sense of what it's all about and, and the role it's playing in getting young people into the sport and trying to diversify the sport. So, Chad McMullen, we really appreciate you taking the time for joining us today. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Our discussion with Chad McMullen, of course, we thank him for his time. Scott, I thought that was really good. Really great insights from Chad in the origins of the program. I'm, I'm very impressed with the buy-through rate of once people are in the clubs. And it's one of these things where, as we talked about towards the end, you can't really take a curling club or a curling facility to people uh, you you know, for the actual like getting on the ice experience. right? It's very tied to that place. But the more we can do to reach out to people, that will help grow the sport and, and ensure that clubs are healthy into the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and to do it in all kinds of communities, right? Not just communities that have a curling club. Yeah, like for maybe sure. Maybe there is none in somewhere, and at least the game is being introduced. Uh, I also found, Sean, going to the Rocks and Rings website is uh, very beneficial, Uh and following them on Twitter, too, because they just tweeted a link to a delicious looking uh, chocolate chip uh, cook, chocolate chip cookies recipe. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, in in conjunction with their partnership with the egg farmers. So I know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, definitely do check out rocksandrings.com. And uh, especially if you have kids and want to bring the program to the school uh, or, or support bringing the program to other schools. It's just, uh, as we talked about in the show, I think this is one of those great programs that will help grow the sport and help to uh, diversify the sport by by showing off how much fun the sport can truly be. Like Curling is a lot of fun, and these sorts of things will, will help demonstrate that. And certainly in the commercials where you have Caitlin Laws screaming with the kids, hurry and sweep and all that kind of stuff, it's it, it seems like a good time and the sort of thing that, uh, you know, it can't hurt, certainly, in growing the sport. My my favorite part of that ad is the sort of side eye that Caitlin gives to the girl that's screaming so much louder <laughs> yeah. than her. And she's kind of like, yeah. whoa, right on. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, time out. I'm the two-time gold medalist. You don't outshine me. <laughs> <laughs> you you are better at screaming than me. Yes, it's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so definitely check that out. And uh, that'll do it, though, for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet, give us the likes and the ratings, the comments, all that stuff. Helps the show grow, helps other people find the show as well. If you want to follow along with everything going on, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. You can find Scott at Scott Likes TV. I'm at the Sean Graham. And of course, head on over to GameofStonesPod.com for all the episodes, but also the merch. We have uh, t shirts, the Game of Stones t shirt. All proceeds from the sales go to Food Banks Canada. So everything is is for that in the midst of the pandemic we wanted to do something to help out in whatever small way we could and of course if you don't want a t-shirt and want to donate to food banks canada or your local food bank you're not going to get any argument from us scott absolutely always uh down to donate to a good cause also be sure to join us on monday afternoons on facebook live with the guys from rocks across the pond we're going live at five eastern each Monday talking about whatever. And as always, if we get to a thousand, 
live people, we will force Scott to get a tattoo. Do your worst, folks. Do your worst. <laughs> um, so, so you can check that out. Also on our Facebook page, if you're interested and you missed it, we do have video of the roundtable that we did last week with Carrie Galusha and Andrew Paris talking about diversity and curling, as well as our first roundtable that we had with Portia Stevenson, Arya Moore, and Jason Chang, where we were talking about diversity. So all of that is on the Facebook page. So do check it out over there. So we will be back with you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that insert. Make the final.